What's up, everybody? My name is Luke Thomas. God, what day? Sunday, the uh, 22nd of April, and this is the UFC Atlantic City post-fight special here on my YouTube channel. Thank you so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. If you do not want spoilers, this is your chance to get out of here. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, I'm going to try this stinger one time. Let's see if this works. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's try it out. Yes, let's see if we can do it. All right, as I mentioned, I am Luke Thomas. I'm the host, of course, the Luke Thomas Show on Sirius XM Rush, Channel 93. I am also the um, senior editor at MMA Fighting. If you're watching this video, please give it a like. And uh, subscribe to the channel below. I really appreciate it when you do. As you can see, two ways you can interact. You can send me a tweet, which I'll read at the end of this. Or you can donate in the super chat if you'd like to support the work and all the effort I put in for all the production upgrades and everything else. I always appreciate that when people do. Um, not required, but always appreciated. And what I'll do today is I'll actually read the super chat stuff before I ever get to the tweets. Because um, I want you guys to know how much I appreciate it. Okay, so UFC AC, UFC Atlantic City, just ended. Uh, let's pull up these results. And by the way, any video I do like this on my post-fight special uh, is brought to you by the Beta Academy. It's where I'm a member. If you want to train jiu-jitsu or MMA or do strength and conditioning and you're in the Washington, D.C. area, the best place, of course, to go is going to be the Beta Academy at the corner of 14th and Florida Northwest. There's a link in the description box below if you want uh, more information. Tell them I sent you. And, of course, if you want a link to my t-shirt store, it's in there as well. All right, UFC Atlantic City. This took place at the Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Your main event, Kevin Lee, technically at a catch weight of 157 pounds since he missed the one-pound allowance. So, of course, because it was non-title, you could come in 156. He came in 157. He did technically miss weight. Of course, 20% of his purse went to Edson Barboza. He defeats Edson Barboza by TKO. Pardon me, doctor stoppage at 218 of the fifth round. Okay, let's talk about what we saw right there. Um, number one, I'd like to say something about the UFC lightweight division. Just this month has been an absolute showcase of talent. We didn't even get to see several of those fights that were supposed to take place at the uh, UFC 223 card. Now, only one of them was a lightweight contest, it was supposed to be Anthony Pettis. And, well, I guess two of them, if sort of. <laughs> Because you had Paul Felder and Iaquinta, but Iaquinta still fought. But you lost Pettis and you lost Chiesa. Point being is, look at that fight. Who was it headlined by? Lightweights. Then you go to Glendale. Who was it headlined by? Lightweights. Then you go to this one. Who was it headlined by? Lightweights. Lightweight is the, is the division of kings in mixed martial arts. Those guys can do everything. They are fast. They are strong. They have good stamina. They can strike. They can wrestle. They have good jujitsu. It is the sweet spot of MMA. Uh, and this month has been a pretty clear testament to it. I know Iaquinta versus Nimrigamena wasn't the one we were looking for necessarily, but look what happened in Glendale. Look what happened in Atlantic City. Just incredible showcase of talent, grit, determination, athletic character, everything. And that was on display here as well. Kevin Lee... Holy shit, man. Kevin Lee put it on Edson Barboza in this contest. Even better than I thought he would. I, I, I thought he would win, but I thought it would be relatively close. Something like what Habib did, but maybe a little bit less than that. And in some ways it was because he took that head kick, although this was a five-round contest versus a three-round. That Remember, because remember, Nurmagomedov remember fought Barboza in a three-round contest because it was a co-main event non-title. So, in some ways it was technically less, but in many ways, so much more. Uh, we'll get to the head kick that Lee took, but what do you want to say about Lee? Lee is an absolutely sensational MMA grappler. He was going southpaw a lot of times. They said to take away some of the kicks, but I don't quite understand that because it would open him up this direction where he was southpaw and, and then Barboza would be orthodox, which to me is always worse, although it did enable him to check some leg kicks, especially even late. But what it did for me when I was watching was it enabled him to shoot on the left leg of Barboza without having to encounter the counter right knee. You think about that right knee from Barboza and the damage it causes. He catches people coming in with it all the time. Many fighters he's caught him with, not least of which 
is uh, Benil Dariush, right? He's really, really good at that kind of stuff. So it enabled him to get a takedown on the outside, didn't have to come to that back leg where he might have been prone to go if he was standing this way, sugar foot, left foot out in the front. This way he was able to have the right foot out there. I mean, there may have been other striking components to it beyond that in terms of um, countering the jab, for example, being able to go over the top with it. But I think at least early on in that contest, the ability to go orthodox, excuse me, the ability to go southpaw enabled and facilitated takedowns. Not that he needed it for that, but it, it was a big benefit. Once he was able to get the takedown, if Barboza can drive an underhook, uh, any kind of underhook, he's hard to take down. But if you can catch him without the underhook, he's, and most people aren't, but he's not, and this might be a little loud, let me put this away a little bit. He's not necessarily all that great at stopping it. Um, and again, that's to be expected a little bit. Sorry, my microphone's a little bit off. That's to be expected a little bit, but um, it's it's noticeable. It's noticeable with him. Um, so in any case, he's able to get his hands together underneath the rear end of Barboza, pick him up, and then drop him to the mat. From there, the, as the fight wore on and Kevin Lee got tired, you saw that Barboza was really good about recomposing guard. But in that first and second round, oh my word, he was passing with a relative ease. And how was he doing it? Pretty simply, really. Barboza does a lot of pushing and extending on uh, on de- on defense to prevent a guard pass. Now, he has a series of different defenses once you get half or once you get side. He's real good about um, shrimping, driving an underhook, turning into his o- opponents the right way. So I'll give him credit there. But he does a lot of extending. So, for example, you saw that Kevin Lee got pushed off on the hips. He used that to push Barboza's legs up and then come around, around his legs and stack him. Why is that relevant? One, because if I come around your legs and I grab around with my own kind of gable grip, I can pull your hips onto top on top of mine. I can stack you on the back of the neck. I can then switch my hips, turn around, and then drive into side control, which is exactly what he did. Um, you could do all kinds of things from there. Plus, if you're, do, if you're looking for any kind of grips for a wrist, I, I, I've already beat you because your hands now have to go on the outside of mine. So that's going to be a problem for you. There's just a lot of things he was able to do uh, that created problems for Barboza. And I have to say, I had a black belt. I, I, if you watched any of my shows or anything like that. You've heard me say this before, but if you're new here, I had a black belt. God, how long ago was this? Maybe a year or two ago, something like that. They told me that mount is a lost art in MMA. It's a lost art. Not with Kevin Lee, it isn't. Now, there are guys like Demi and Maya who's got an incredible mount, but you'll notice now most guys go to half or side control because that's where it's safe where they have good balance, where they have good control. Getting in mount can be hard because you have to you have to learn the different positions. There's mount right up underneath the armpits. Then there's mount kind of like right over the sternum. And there's mount where you're sitting on their hips. And that's the most dangerous kind because your hips are attached to theirs and they can move you around more easily. But he is effortless with the ride. He's effortless at finding it. We'll talk about the Chagas fight later. He seems like a very clean back operator. Some people are just really good and naturally have skill in that department. I'm sure they work on it as well, but it's just an area of obvious skill for them. And that's what you can say about Kevin Lee with Mount. He finds it easily. He holds it better than most. And again, Barboza's really good about turning in when he needed to and, and finding a leg and then pulling it out so that he could you know recapture some kind of half or guard eventually. But nevertheless, in terms of MMA, I'm not saying that he has the most technically developed mount, but the mount is central to his grappling and he's able to hold it better than a lot of other fighters. You know, I'm sure Demi and Maya's mount is probably better and just in terms of like mount versus mount. But uh, Demi and Maya has a harder time getting there. Demi and Maya it just doesn't have the same kind of ground and pound. There's just a lot more you could say. So as he had Barboza turning a direction, he would come underneath the head, feed the hand. So now he is gift wrapping uh, Barboza around and then just pounding. Oh my God, it was brutal to watch, man. Edson Barboza in the last two fights has taken a metric ton of abuse to the point where it's a little bit uncomfortable for me anyway. Um, I was, there was a couple of moments in that contest where I was like, mm, 
I don't know about this one continuing. This this is getting a little bit bad. And I know people were a little bit upset about the cut stopping it. But the doctors took one look at it and they were like, no chance. Um, so I'm okay with it. But back to Lee. Uh, so to me, takedowns are great. The way in which he sets up his takedowns are great. right? He understands who the opponent is. We talked about with Justin Gaethje last week. Gaethje just kind of fights the way he fights. He adds some tools here or there. But... You can look at what Kevin Lee did and what can you take away from it. He tailors his offense and defense to meet the needs of the particular opponent in mind. And that's not you know revelatory or somehow different than what everyone else does. But you can see it's a pretty clear ingredient for success at the highest level. And you saw it here. So the passing, the gift wrapping, the good pace he was able to keep. He did not look all that tired to me. And again, the passing got a little bit lazy uh, in that fourth round or so. But also the... Guard retention by Barboza got a little bit more earnest as well. So that probably contributed um, along the same lines. So there's that. So um, I thought in the striking department, he did a really good job. He took a couple of big kicks, and we'll talk about the head kick in just a second. He took a couple of big body kicks, but if you go back and you watch from the southpaw position, he would raise his right leg and check. A lot of what Barboza was doing. I thought he did a pretty good job of not taking too much boxing damage from Barboza. Um, Barboza doing a lot of backing up straight. Not, not just, just not when he. It, it, the, everyone says the big problem is that he plants on that leg when he throws, which is true. But he's so quick that that's not the only real problem. The other problem is he throws and then backs up straight, and then throws and then backs up straight rather than throws and then like exits off at an angle, right? So that that and then Kevin Lee was just able to find openings there but Kevin Lee could box with him when he needed to I thought Kevin Lee had really good combinations I thought Kevin Lee didn't over pursue in the boxing department there was a couple times where you could see Edson was raring for a big counter and and maybe maybe Kevin if he had pursued could have finished him off but he also ran an, an exceptionally high risk of getting countered he didn't he didn't do that um, I know a lot of people hate on Kevin Lee and I understand why you know Kevin Lee's got a lot of opinions and uh, he's young and he's brash and it rubs people the wrong way. It's no, it's no mystery, right? And, of course, missing weight doesn't help your cause either. Um, but there's no denying that dude is supremely talented. That was a championship-level performance tonight, if you ask me. And you could say, well, how shop-worn was Barboza from the Habib fight? Probably some. Probably some. But at the same time, look at him still fighting back. He was still trying to slug it out with him in the fifth. And he lost on skill. He lost on skill. Maybe it was Habib who showed that if you apply a certain kind of game plan, then you can have a lot of success with it. Uh, not merely that these things work, but if you just to keep applying them, you can see you can just break this guy down more and more and more over time. And so that grants not merely a, a, a roadmap, but a roadmap you can be really confident in. And and so I can, I can acknowledge that he is building off the work of others, but at the same time, that was just a superior fighter in there tonight. There's just no two ways about it. And the well-roundedness of his game, the athleticism of his game. And again, for a guy at 25, to be able to pass and ride and mount like that in a way at a time when no one else is doing it, everything old is new again, right? Everyone got away from the mount because it takes too long to get good at it. Kevin Lee got good at it, and now he's able to use it. It's very, very impressive. Uh, he wants Habib. Dustin Poirier wants Habib. I kind of thought Dustin Poirier was the guy to get the title shot. And then Kevin Lee comes around to something like this, and you say to yourself, maybe Kevin Lee's the guy. You know, who knows? Kevin Lee could sell it. People would really choose um, Habib. Of course, if Connor's floating out there, he's your number one choice every time. But it's going to be interesting. Maybe they make Dustin Poirier versus Kevin Lee now. And, and could you be really upset at that? I don't know that you could. Very, 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 very impressive performance. Or maybe they do Eddie Alvarez versus Kevin Lee. That'd be another really interesting one so lightweight is starting to get a little bit more clarity that top five I guess you really know who it is Habib Connor Tony Eddie well if you don't count Habib because Habib's a champion so then one would be Connor Eddie uh Tony um then you have Kevin and then you have uh I don't know I forgot wait one more time what was it Connor's your Habib's your champ doesn't count Connor Tony Dustin, Eddie, Kevin. Those are your top five all kind of vying for that space. They got to fight it out in there. Before, I kind of thought everyone could just wait their turn for the championship. 
But now I'm looking at him and I'm saying these fights are just too tantalizing. These guys are just too young. This is something that needs to happen right now. So I really hope that we can we can find a way to do that. Now, how about that head kick that he landed? Edson Barboza, if you go back and you watch that third round of the Habib Nurmagomedov fight, you'll see a couple of things. Number one, there's like a two or three minute single take. Well, I mean, maybe it's multiple attempts. But he never really gets close on Barboza for a takedown. Barboza just kind of stalls him out, st- stops him, and then creates separation. Um, and he was firing back in that third round. Edson was very, very capable, even late into that third round against Nurmagomedov. And then you look at that and you say to yourself, uh, after those first two rounds against Lee, can we count Barboza out? And I tweeted about it. I was like, do not do that. Do not do that because this is a guy who has shown, you know, to call his resiliency remarkable would be over, I mean, would be understating it. It's just, it's almost without. It's, it's an unhealthy degree of resistance, frankly. Most people would fold, and it would almost be in their interest to do that because they'd be saving themselves untold levels of abuse. Um, but in any case, he lands that spinning wheel kick, it appeared, right upside the head of Kevin Lee. And I thought, man, you know, that that's it. Edson's incredible offense, unique as it is, lethal as it is, well-timed as it is, it was just better in the end, I guess. Maybe he's not as good on the ground, and maybe Lee can show you that he's a good first or second-round fighter, but maybe he can't show you he can do that over the distance. That's what I was worried about when I landed, you know, or not worried about, but, like, uh, considering. And and uh, unbelievable shot. You know, we've seen it before on Terry Adam, including many others. And for Kevin Lee to, like, dive on him, to, ha- to be like all the way stretched out with your arms, pulling him back in, find a way to get on top, and then hold him there, borderline stalling, but doing just enough to maintain, is just, uh, wow. It-, it shows you how special of a fighter Barboza is and how unique his offense is. And at the same time, it also tells you that was... That was a reminder that a healthy, you know, in shape Kevin Lee, uh, as he continues to get better, is going to be a handful for anybody. Because even when you hurt him, he is going to be really difficult to put any kind of sustained offense on. He just has real good instincts defensively for emergency situations. Not a lot of guys do. They don't know to like dive on something or what the right way to pursue a defensive posture might be. Um, it looks instinctual because we're so used to seeing guys do it to varying degrees of success. But I can tell you a lot of guys would get hit with a shot like that and panic and not know what to do. And he did. That was a big time performance by Kevin Lee tonight, man. Motom Phenom is for real. Um, and I know some folks are going to be mad and say, what about the one pound allowance? Look, the one if you want to be mad about the one pound that he was over, you have a right to be. If you want to be mad about it, say it showed that he didn't, handle the job professionally you'd be right and if you want to say his reasoning after the fact was not all that great which is that you know he said he ran out of time I'd agree with you if you want to be mad at that I'd, I'd even meet you halfway there my big takeaway was that it was just not professional you got you, you said you were going to make weight you need to make weight but this notion that that one pound was the difference about why he won is absurd it's that was a clear skill differential between the two, no doubt about it. Not like Edson Barboza some puny lightweight either, by the way. Um, the one-pound problem was that he didn't do the job the way he said he would. That's unprofessional. It's not okay. And I think he knows that. Uh, it's not that it was like some competitive... It's not like... It, it'd be different like the John Dodson case. John Dodson was set to fight Pedro Munoz originally at UFC Balem. John Dodson is a natural flyweight but was competing up at bantamweight Pedro Munoz missed at 140 halfway to featherweight and Dodson said nah I don't think so and I know folks got mad at him but to me it's like how could you possibly blame him he's not even competing in the right weight class and the guy was halfway to the one above that it's absurd it's absurd or Cowboy Oliveira missing by like five or seven pounds but the one pound not a real big reason the excuse thing I'll meet halfway on because just saying you ran out of time, it's like, well, how can you run out of time if you know you had to make it 
On the other hand, what I would say is there's pretty clear evidence at this point that the early morning weigh-ins are fucked and is not in any way optimal to get most guys to make weight most of the time. But I would agree that saying, well, you ran out of time, it's like, well, how much time do you need if you had, you know, two or three months notice? But okay, whatever. As I mentioned, matchmaking is going to be very interesting. I think all these guys calling out Habib makes sense, wouldn't you, if you were in their position? I also believe that it's probably not realistic. It seems like they'll probably give that fight to Connor, as I think they should, as it makes most business sense, whatever you want to make of his transgressions in terms of his personal conduct. And I think we need to start settling the rest of that division. I think we got to figure out a way to get Alvarez, Poirier, Lee, Tony when he comes back, actively competing, in there, doing it, making a show of it, making a run of it, and and then letting the dust settle from there. Because there's just too much uncertainty and too much time upon which to ponder it. And that's never the right combination. If we had to make fights very, very quickly, we could. but uh, And we will, probably, in certain circumstances. But you can't just look at all this uncertainty and say, well, we're just going to leave it that way. Mm-mm. They need to fight. And, you know, it's up to the UFC to make that happen. But, um, by the way, Edson Barboza, I want to look at his record. I said this last time when he fought Habib Nurmagomedov, and I'm going to say it again because it's worth mentioning. Not merely did he show great character in that Nurmagomedov fight and show great character uh, in this Kevin Lee fight. I want to read you the names of the guys he's fought. Mike Lulo, this is all in the UFC. Forget about all the ones he fought before that. Mike Lulo, Anthony Njokawani, Ross Pearson, Terry Edom, Jamie Varner, Lucas Martins, Rafael Oliveira, Rafaelo, excuse me, Oliveira, Danny Castillo, uh, Donald Cerrone, Evan Dunham, Bobby Green, Michael Johnson, Paul Felder, Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez, Benil Dariush, Habib Nurmagomedov, and Kevin Lee. Let it be known now and let it be known always that Edson Barboza has never ducked a challenger. Never. Edson Barboza, and it didn't go right against Varner or Cerrone or Johnson or Ferguson or Nurmagomedov or Lee. Six times he's lost in the UFC. All right? But let it be known that this was a guy when they asked him to fight other tough guys he just said yes. When they asked him, do you want to fight somebody who might be a bad matchup? He just said yes. When he had a loss, he tried to get right back on the horse and win. And for the most time, he did. This is the first time in his life he's ever had back-to-back losses. Um, which is, you know, unfortunate to note. But there are so many guys these days who don't want to take fights. And a lot of times we understand. And there are so many guys who are like, mm, it's not a good matchup for me. And rationally speaking, I understand but we should also take time to thank and praise the guys who say, oh, you want me to fight Kevin Lee right behind that beating I took from Nurmagomedov? Sure. Where do I sign? Last of the Mohicans, folks. Last of the Mohicans this guy is. An absolute animal warrior. Every time, all the time, win or lose, he is a competitor. And you cannot say that about a whole lot of guys these days. All right, let's move with that, if we can, uh, to the co-main event. And by the way, of course, please like the video and subscribe to the channel below. So, where does that take us? That takes us to Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson. Frankie winning 30-27 across the board. Well, hmm. Okay, this is a bit of an interesting one. Good win by Edgar. I thought for the most part he looked like how Frankie looks, right? He didn't look all that dissimilar, I thought. Same could be said for Cub Swanson. He always seems to have a new tattoo, but other than that, he looked and fought pretty much like, pardon me, it's like, like how Cub Swanson competes. Um, couple of differences. The fight was a lot closer this time than the first time out. I thought Cub Swanson had really good takedown defense. Uh, in fact, pretty close to, I think it was in fact, perfect this time out. So that's pretty amazing. But the problem for me on this one was that Cubs 
while his takedown defense was phenomenal. On the other hand, he was just waiting a lot to counter the offense of Frankie. I think he was so preoccupied with the takedown threat that it didn't let, enable him to let his offense breathe. And when he did let his offense breathe, it was fantastic, right? He was out there killing the game. Um, he, he, I thought, was able to back up Edgar at times with it. He was able to catch him sleeping in space a couple of times. Uh, he has a nice long punch, and so when he can time it just right, he can do a lot with it, and a heavy punch as well. It was when Edgar was coming in and doing all the tricks that Edgar does, he would try to find him with like a check hook. And, you know, a couple times he got through, but not really. And, and then, by the way, if you're waiting on Edgar's time, that's time you're wasting, not wasting, but you're, you're just on their schedule, which means you're probably not going to be as offensively frequent as you either want to be or need to be. So that was a bit of a problem. And Edgar did what he always does. Edgar has the, more or less the same game plan. I mean, they, they switch up little tricks here and there. They make adjustments here and there. But he likes to come in and out, side to side. And what he likes to do is he likes to stand in the orthodox position. He likes to create a lane for the right hand. And he'll fade side to side, up and down, in and out like this, right? Get you to move, get you to kind of uh, think something's coming or to, or to hold still. And then he just goes after you. He was good with the inside leg kicks, outside leg kicks. Didn't, again, he tried with the takedown, didn't get very far with it. Had that one time on the knee tap where he shoved him into the fence. He's really good on uh, any kind of clinch break about landing big shots. So that was pretty nice, I thought, from uh, from Frankie Edgar. It was, it was the Frankie as we knew. So the question is, was he right to take this fight seven weeks after, give or take, from UFC 223, or excuse me, 222? Um, the answer is probably no, right? Because it's not, it wasn't that, if you take this fight, bad things will happen. It's that, number one, is it a good idea to take this kind of potential damage? Not that he took a ton of abuse here, but, you know, not like Cub Swanson. He fought Cub Swanson for 15 minutes. not like it's a walk in the park. Is it good to take that kind of a beating or oh, those shots, damage, whatever you want to call it, in close proximity to the last one? That's one. And two... Doesn't the fact that you took that kind of a loss in this kind of close proximity up the risk for A, other kinds of injuries, or B, you up the risk for a potential loss, which two in a row for him at this point would have been pretty bad. Uh, and so he was able to get around that because you're heightening the risk, but that's just the odds. That's not, that's not, a, that's not, a, that's not a real predictor. It's not a law or something. And so in the end, it didn't cost him the worst of it. And so I guess he, I think he'll probably take that as validation, uh, which is okay, I suppose, on some level. But at the same time, it's just still like we wouldn't look at this and say this is anything advisable. Um, he, he, the words he had, I talked about this on my show extensively. The words he had used prior to this contest this week was that he wasn't worried about the damage because he's built different. That was those were his words, built different. Um, and for sure, a time he was built different, right? There's no doubt about it. Like when he was out there beating up on poor Gray Maynard, he was clearly, it was evident he was built differently. Um, however, you know, when you get knocked out, it's pretty clear that you're not built differently. Like you literally got knocked out, which is sort of this democratizing thing, right? You're not, you're not exempt from the rules anymore when that happens. So to me, it's like, the worst case scenario was avoided. It was good to see him there with his family. It was good to see him compete in New Jersey. I don't know who could say otherwise. Cub Swanson fought ably, certainly improved. But I would still look back on this and say that was inadvisable. Disaster? Definitely not. Terrible? Far from it. Inadvisable? Yeah. All things being equal, yeah. And, and he got away with one. Uh, no doubt about it. But I can't say I saw this fight and saw there was no like particular downgrade in his performance. Like he didn't look in any way uh, worse. I mean, it is kind of interesting to me that he's had. Let me pull this up here. It is kind of interesting to me that the takedowns sense. Well, I guess the. I mean, I don't want to read too much into it because he got the takedown against Jeremy Stevens and Rodriguez, but against Ortega Swanson and Aldo, especially Aldo in the second fight. It wasn't like the takedowns came very easily. So I'm wondering if that portion of his game has been, or if the game itself has caught up to him and, and, and surpassed him in that regard. So certainly something we have to consider. Um, but in any case, 
So where he goes from here, I don't know. Let me look at the rankings. I, I thought he had never gotten too far out of it. Everyone's like, he's got to drop to bantamweight. And I was saying, well, I wouldn't be opposed to that necessarily. But it's not like he had a super big drop-off. So you have Holloway and Ortega, which are going to fight in July. And you've got Aldo at two, but he's going to fight Stevens, right, in Canada. And so you've got Edgar and Swanson, and they just fought, which would leave Josh Emmett at six and then Ricardo Lamas at seven. So they might run that back. So it's not really clear where it leaves him. But he's still in that two to three space. So he was—he never really dropped in any kind of, you know, significant or sad way in the rankings, uh, and he's right back in the thick of things. Pretty good, pretty good opportunity for him. Not going to say a whole lot about this one. Justin Willis defeating Chase Sherman. By the way, hold on, let me turn this off here. Justin Willis defeating Chase Sherman, 29-28-29-28-29-28. People got confused when I tweeted this, but I tweeted that because at first Willis was just teeing off on him. Uh, and he was a deserved winner, although he got, got kind of tired towards the end. But I had tweeted that like the way in which Sherman was getting hit, it looked like he had done something wrong. And I didn't mean like do something wrong technically. Like, yes, if you, I mean, it goes with, I would think it goes without saying that if you're getting pieced up pretty clearly, you're, you know, you're not applying either offensive or defensive fundamentals the right way. It's not what I meant. What I meant was I can't quite, I can't quite explain it. But imagine seeing like a mother, uh, imagine seeing somebody getting beat up who deserved it for like some transgression that they had. What would that look like in your mind? Like that person had done something wrong to somebody else and then there was this retribution, cinematic or something. It, it looked kind of like that. I know that sounds like a very weird comparison or one that doesn't tell you much, but that's what I meant when I tweeted it and for those who, who may have been confused. It was just this weird, uh, you know, almost like deserve. And I have nothing against Chase Sherman at all, but like this weird, like deserve retribution look to it. Uh, hard, hard to say. David Branch defeating Tiago Santos at two thirty of the very first round KO. Man, David Branch has and the respect that he's probably owed by all of us in this game, uh, I think to varying degrees have not granted it to him. He goes in there and I, I, it looked like he, Santos was expecting a shot, wanted to throw in a, a, a check hook and branch just with a straighter, faster punch, beat him to it and put his lights out pretty easily. Tiago Santos came into this contest on a hell of a win streak. That was, that was the best Tiago Santos probably that we've ever seen. Now you didn't really get an appreciation for that because he got put out in, half of a round but if you just think about this guy being in shape not injured and maybe we'll hear some excuse after the fact but insofar as what we know he was not injured he's relatively young and he has on this incredible win streak he looks like you know hercules and david branch went in there and put it on him technically superior fighter skills win fights simple straighter punch meet a meta hook punch better timing and he was backing Santos up, had him right against the fence. Again, always pay attention to the fact that most fights finish, finish along the fence line, or at least outside of the two black lines, almost never inside of it. Here's another case where that's exactly the, the truth. But the point about David Branch is this is a guy who kind of floated around in outside organizations for a long time. Folks forget he was a two-weight champion in World Series of Fighting and was a very good one. And has always been, you know, you just if you knew him from only his UFC career, well, then you didn't really know him. You just didn't get a good appreciation for his abilities. And I, I don't know how much this win changes that for a guy who has been underappreciated for a very long time. But there was no second-guessing that win. That was a phenomenal punch by a very skilled and talented fighter, a veteran at this point, somebody who knows what they're looking at and knows what they're doing. And it was nice to see him rebound off the Luke Rockhold fight, where, again, if that's your introduction to David Branch or you're trying to piece together some understanding of him from Fight Pass, that just wouldn't tell you a whole lot. Uh, but this would. This is the David Branch that when people are like, yo, David Branch is a really good fighter, this is what they mean. That's the guy, right? How far can he go at middleweight? Let me see those rankings at middleweight. Who do we have at middleweight? We have Romero, Jacare, Rockhold, Weidman, Gaslam, Bisping, Brunson, Branch at eight. So we'll see what happens with him. He's he maybe he'll get somebody in the top six or seven ish area. I guess we'll have to see. But he took on a guy who was ranked below him, very very challenging, and just blew past him. And I don't think a lot of people ever give him enough credit 
it was nice to see him do something where you can't deny the guy on a night like that. Uh, Aljamain Sterling defeating Brett Johns, 30-27 across the board. Great win for him. Uh, a lot of reasons why he won this. He was faster, uh, more athletic, really good about moving on the outside, unlike the case of Barboza. You saw a lot of lateral movement from Aljamain Sterling, and it was quick and fleet of foot, too. So he wasn't just going the right way directionally. He was doing it with purpose and speed. At the same time, he was striking in ways that were on his terms. Even if Johns was doing the pressuring, he was sort of at the mercy of Sterling's shot selection. Uh, and when they did lock up, the judo just wasn't enough. Sterling is strong for that weight class. He's powerful. He's a good wrestler himself. And he just beat him everywhere, basically. Uh, maybe, you know, Johns certainly was in the fight and trying to compete the whole time, which I take my hat off to him for. But... Um, <clears throat> It wasn't enough in the end. Uh, good win for Sterling, by the way, getting back on the horse after that terrible loss to Marlon Marais. He needed a good confidence boost. And what I liked about this contest was that you knew if it was on the ground, Sterling was probably going to get the better of the wrestling or the grappling, which for the most part he did. But you knew on the feet that Sterling has been susceptible at times. The last fight, great example of that. Not that Brett Johns is Marlon Marais from Wales, but... Nevertheless, that this is a portion of his game. Like, what is he naturally good at, right? Aljamain Sterling is naturally good on the ground, which isn't to say he can't be good at other things, but that's where he just, that's where he wrestled in college, right? It's sort of his base. And the striking has come along and come along, and it's been incremental, but it just keeps getting better. This was a great example. It was a mature performance. You know, is Aljamain Sterling going to go out there and blow the doors off of you with your pow with his power? Maybe at some point. He's not ready for that just yet. But to see somebody who likes to strike in a certain way be able to bring that complexion into a fight means their choices were the ones that were dictating the fight generally. And so that's what you saw from Aljamain Sterling in this Brett Johns fight. Um, pretty, pretty tactical, smart performance. How about Dan Hooker? Good Lord. Dan Hooker defeating Jim Miller at three minutes of the first second, uh, three minutes of the first round, pardon me, uh, via KO knee. Okay, Dan Hooker is, listen to, if, you, if you've been watching these, you know I've been saying this. Dan Hooker is criminally underrated. Criminally underrated. First of all, the balls to call out Paul Felder generally is amazing. Then to do it to his face is even more impressive. But Dan Hooker, you know, he, he took a few shots in there because Jim Miller's talented. But Dan Hooker is one of these guys, how many times do you see a tall fighter not fight tall? And you're like, what the fuck, man? Why aren't you fighting tall? You don't have to worry about that with Dan Hooker. How about one of these guys who, when you see certain, who they not merely fighting tall, but they just don't use the full arsenal that either the matchup offers them physically or their particular body type offers them. They kind of, they, they might do something right, but they only do one thing right about it. Here's what I mean. If he's tall, if he if he needs to fight rangy, he fights rangy. If he needs to take advantage of a height differential, which is what he did here, right, bringing that knee up to a guy who is ducking to a same side and then just timing it right, he has this Muay Thai that is really complete and speaks to his body type and skill preference. It's uh, you just don't see a lot of that. You see a lot of guys who can just kind of they bring a version of Muay Thai that they think they're supposed to have that doesn't really suit their own body type that all that well. Or they bring a certain kind that comes from a certain style. They don't really adapt it for maybe different needs that they encounter. And so I, I learned it from this coach, and we, this coach teaches it this way. That's the way we fight. Yeah, but is that good for you? Or is it good for you against that guy? Maybe it isn't. Maybe part of that's good and part of it's not. He has found a style of Thai boxing that just works well for him which makes it, I'm sure he works his ass off, but what I mean is the more you can suit a style of striking to encounter different problems, but also speak to your preferences and your natural skills and really and your body type and you bring that to life, the more effortless it's going to be. You're not trying to be a striker that you're not. You're not trying to be a fighter that you're not. And you don't, you just, I'm telling you, you don't see a lot of guys like that. How come you see, how many guys you see that fight and strike in certain robotic ways? Well, partly they don't have natural skill or not as much, maybe. The other component there might simply be that um, they have this style of striking that a coach told them they had to have and they really didn't. 
And so they learned almost like the wrong way to a degree. In any case, that's not who Dan Hooker is. Dan Hooker has tricks. He has skills. He has tactics. He has strategy. He has a style that fits him. And he just recognizes, hmm, here's a guy who is shorter than me to a fairly significant degree who is bending over a lot and then leaning a certain way a lot, what if I time it so that when he does that, I fire up a knee? That knee is common when one person is tall and one person is a lot shorter, right? Because it's a, it's an easy way to find them and they don't see it coming. Um, you can cover the distance. If we're both 6'4", like me, it ain't going to do shit. You have to jump in the air to get it. But if I'm 6'4", and you're 5'5", five, five, best believe, and this is an exaggerated example, Best believe I'm going to bring a knee right up the middle, right? That's what you saw. Again, that, that's an exaggerated example, but it's that kind of a thing. Dan Hooker, six feet tall, you know, fighting 145, now 155. Dan Hooker is a bad motherfucker, man. And it is about time that people started recognizing that this dude is is a straight-up killer. As for Jim Miller, what is it? They said 29 fights in the octagon alone. I mean, we, you want to talk about a war horse. This dude has been out there. People, folks forget he fought in IFL New Jersey back in 2008. This dude made his UFC debut at UFC 89. UFC 89. Here's another guy who hasn't run from anyone in that division. Listen to the names that this dude has fought. Some of you won't remember these names, but I do. And some of you will. David Barron, Matt Wyman. Matt Wyman used to be a crazy man. Gray Maynard, Mac Danzig, Steve Lopez, Dwayne Ludwig, Mark Bocek, Gleason Tebow. Charles Oliveira, Kamal Shalarus, Benson Henderson, Melvin Gillard, Nate D. And that was back when Melvin Gillard was really good. Nate Diaz, Joe Lazon, Pat Healy, Fabricio Camois, Yancey Medeiros, Donald Cerrone, Benil Darius, Danny Castillo, Michael Chiesa, Diego Sanchez, Takanori Gomi, Joe Lazon, Tiago Alves, and now he's on a four-fight losing streak. But Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Francisco Trinaldo, and Dan Hooker. Man, man, salute to Jim Miller. <laughs> you set him up, and he, he may die trying, but he will try to knock him down. He doesn't ask a whole lot of questions about who it is and why he needs to be there and uh, whether that's a good fight for him. You know, a very, uh, you know, a fighter's fighter and a fan's fighter too. And maybe it's time for him to consider what his future should be. He's 28 and 12 now um, in his record. And and maybe it's time to consider with four losses in a row uh, what his future is in this sport. Because um, what how old is he? He's a little bit older too, right? Thirty four. Yeah, he's getting up there. At lightweight, you can see these guys. Kevin Lee's the twenty five year olds. Kevin Lee's twenty five years old. It's it's and how old is Dan Hooker? I think he's a little bit older. Twenty eight. Still, you know, the, the the there's a changing of the guard that's happening. So we'll see what his future is. But I take my hat off to that guy. I mean, just fighting nothing but absolute murderers all the time. He fought Anthony Cheesesteak Morrison, too, back in CFFC 5. Anthony Morrison knocked out a buddy of mine. I was there. It sucked, but what are you going to do? Uh, please give this video a like and subscribe to the channel. Let's briefly, briefly, briefly go through this uh, card, and I want to talk about the crazy uh, controversy. Ryan LaFlair defeating Alex Garcia, 30-27 across the board. Just a superior grappler, basically, is the answer to that. I'm going to come back to it, so give me a second. C.R. Bahadur Azada defeating Luan Chagas uh, at 2.40 of the second round. Did you guys see the back take? I tweeted about it as well. Um, a la BJ Penn, Matt Hughes too. Where if I'm on top and you go past me, I can take my inside arm, whatever one it is, and I can put it behind your arm. Now, one of my hooks, it's on my, it might be on your hip. It has to go to the other hip as I come around, right? But you can do it. You got to be flexible to do it. In fact, BJ did it to Matt Hughes, but that's how he popped a rib. Uh, but Luan Chagas did it in this fight. Pretty impressive. But nevertheless, the upper had Rosada hitting him with a balls of the feet right to the liver uh, and then dropping him and hitting with an uppercut. You could just see that he was a much more effortlessly natural striker, right? He was just naturally finding a rhythm. He had a quick left hand. Um, he had a quick right, too, to be quite honest. But it just came a lot easier to him. Luan Chagas has this bit where he likes to switch, you know, fight on the outside and then switch. And then fight on the outside, we'll throw a combination and then switch and switch and switch. He did it to Judo Jim Wallhead. Doesn't really work against somebody who's just a lot, a lot quicker than you and can make computations and striking um, a lot easier than you. Uh, Corey Anderson defeating Patrick Cummins. 
230-26s, 130-27. The win about is what you would expect. Cummins is a good wrestler, but at 37, he's taken a ton of abuse. And Corey Anderson is just a really athletic, quick uh, uh, level changer uh, for a guy who's a light heavyweight. And then Tony Martin defeating Kaito Nakamura, 30-27 across the board. Okay, so let's talk about this Ricky Simon, Marab Devalashvili. And if I'm pronouncing his name wrong for all the Georgians out there, I apologize. My favorite uh, strength athlete in the world is Lasha Telahadzi who, if you've never seen him, he snatched 220 kilos, which is fucking Bigfoot numbers. Like, <laughs> if you don't know anything about Olympic weightlifting, this dude's snatching 220 kilos from Georgia. He's 6'7", Lasha Telahadzi. 6'7", and he's out there snatching 220 kilos. It is like, it's like one of those mythical numbers that you didn't think anybody would ever hit, and he hit it. Anyway... So Ricky Simon defeats defeats Marav Devalashvili. So let me pull this up because we have some information that might inform this discussion a little bit. All right, first of all, let's just talk about the fight itself. Pretty good scrap, actually. Devalashvili, what he lacks in skill, he makes up for in hustle and crazy. So that's always good. But the ending is what really matters. So let me read to you this ending, if I may. Or let me read to you what, 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 what they called it. They called it a technical submission. or maybe They may have called it a TKO, but it's a technical submission via guillotine joke. So what happened was Ricky Simon had a guillotine, and then he rolled him into mount. And for mount and guillotine, you can do a normal guillotine, and you can flex your hips in, squeeze those butt cheeks together, drive in as you pull their head back and try to pop it off like a champagne cork. Devalish really the entire time. Sometimes his hands stop moving, but he just bicycle kicks his legs the entire time like he was doggy paddling his way to blood circulation. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. I've seen guys like flail. Uh, In fact, you saw um, when Joseph Benavidez, I think in Baltimore, fought, uh, not Tim Means, but um, uh, what's his name? Um, Tim Elliott. He had everything wrapped up to the point where Elliott had to tap with his feet because his hands were trapped. Same kind of mounted guillotine. And then he did what is actually correct. People thought he had loosened the choke. He did not loosen the choke. He let go with one hand and posted it on the mat. So you can take that hand and you can drive your shoulders and hips backwards. You actually don't need to have the other hand here because you're really not in a position to hand fight. Um, It's what Luke Rockhold did to Michael Bisping in their first fight. It's actually totally correct. Jake Shields is really good at that too. In any case, so... Here's how I saw it the first time. The first time what I saw was Devalishvili is just flailing. The fight is over, or I, I couldn't tell if the bell had rung, but in any, in any case, Simon gets off of him. Devalishvili kind of just like this to the mat. Now, I can't see his eyes, but his body just kind of collapses, right? And then when someone says something to him, maybe a second or two later, there's a pause there, he kind of looks up real quickly and sort of tries to act alert I thought okay he went out he went out and then on the replay it's like kind of hard to tell folks are saying well they don't have the new rules in New Jersey right but remember they had instant replay in 2007 and it went away for a while but New Jersey brought it back in like 2014 or so um, or maybe a little bit later they, exper- they, they, they began to re-experiment with it in 2014 and they brought it back eventually so they've had instant replay for a long time it's the first day to have instant replay and I don't know if they used instant replay but here's what Nick Lembo, the uh, the uh, I think he's like the essentially the executive counsel for the I don't know what his official title is anymore. Here's what he says about why they made the decision that they made. Because folks are saying, well, he made it to the bell. It didn't even look like he was out, so who cares? So here's what he writes. He goes, "You can't be saved by the bell, even in the final round at the end of the fight, and yes, after the bell." Marab lost consciousness, so the loss is TKO due to technical sub. Marab was out. It was very clear to those cage side. You add to that Big John McCarthy, who of course was not in attendance, but nevertheless weighed in on the issue. Let me read you what he wrote. Uh, What are we doing here? He says, 
uh, trust me, talking about Marab. Trust me, he went out twice. First time when he slammed his head into the mat on the takedown at 56 seconds left. And then on the neck crank at the bell. It wasn't I don't know if I would call that a neck crank, but nevertheless, what should, should have been called a technical submission. And he goes on to say, Big John McCarthy, at the 56 second mark, the fighter is knocked silly, if not out by his own takedown. That is why Simon moves to mount and the neck crank so easily. At the end, the fighter is out for a second. Therefore, he has been submitted and loses as such. It should never have been ruled a TKO. And I'm going to see that at 56 seconds. Let's see here it goes. Takes him down. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? He might be right. And then he only bicycle kicks after he gets moved into mount. Although he's got the hurting things. He's got Look the out. Yeah, Look maybe out so. Let's see the very end. With the bicycle turning. Final seconds of the fight. He's cranking him. Feet are still moving. Feet Where's are still the moving. Okay, referee touches and he gets up. He's out. Goodness. He's not out. Yeah, no, yeah, okay. yeah. There's just a certain lack of alertness there. Really so, you know what? I know it looked like they had said, oh, well, we decided after the fact that no, in fact, you were out when it wasn't out. And I understand there's controversy about it. The last thing I would call this is like a, a like there was cleanliness about the decision or ease with which it was made. But I trust that referee there. The, New Jersey is one of the better commissions, to be quite honest, frankly, in the, in the United States. And then on top of that, you have Big John McCarthy who's looking at this saying, mm, this looks pretty bad. And I've known Nick Limbo for a long time. He's a pretty honest broker, in my experience, if not a totally honest broker. And I, I, I'm going to defer to them. Do, do, do any of us know, having not been there? We can clearly tell he was awake the whole time. No, I, I didn't notice the one at 56. That was one, and the, and then the second one I did notice is when the referee touches him. He lets go, and Devos really just kind of collapse. His whole body just kind of collapses, and then a second or two passes. Then he's like, "Oh no, here I am." That was when I saw it, and I thought, mm, it's a little bit odd. So if you're out when, even if the bell rings, and you're out when they let go, then you're out, and you got submitted is the rule. Like, the fact that, that you made it to the bell is not, uh, it's like, well, he made it to the bell, and you never tapped, you're good to go. If you're out when the bell rings, then you're out. So that's what it happened there. I know it's. I know a lot of people disagree with that. I know that some people have said that this was a terrible thing to happen. I do feel bad for Marab Devalashvili. I've never seen a guy doggy paddle his way to blood circulation or whatever the hell that was. An incredible display of heart and grit and push and determination. You can't be anything but impressed by the guy. Um, at the same time, though, that was just, you know, I feel bad that it happened that way, but it looks to me like they made probably the right call in the end, even though I, know, I realize that's not really all that popular um, of a decision. Okay, uh, so do me a favor. I'll put it back up so I can see. Here, right here. You can shoot me a tweet, and of course you can donate. And if you've donated the Super Chat, I'll get to that now. So let's see what is up with any of those donkeys. Right? All right, uh, what camera lighting setup do you have, Luke? I want a professional lighting set. I don't know the name of it, uh, but I'll have to find it. Uh, oops, I missed a few of these. Hold on. Um, what helps support you more if we watch your videos via YouTube or listen to your show via iTunes podcast? Definitely if you watch via YouTube. It's always better when you do that. And that's from Ronnie. David Sandine, really like the new setup in these post-fight shows. Thank you, David. Uh, Eric F. Stratton says, Luke, can we apply the vaunted MMA math on Habib versus Edson? Of course not, but what about Habib versus Kevin? It's competitive, and they want me to unmute somebody. All right, I will unmute them now because you made a donation in the... See how it works? You guys scratch my back. I will scratch yours. They want me to unmute NoelFan31. Um, well, I can't... This is tweets are protected, so I can't unmute him, I don't think. Let's see. I didn't mute him at all. That's weird. He's not muted. All right. Let's go to this. Someone says, I don't get all the hate Matt is getting. Uh, which Matt? Which Matt is getting hate? Matt Brown? Edgar is MMA Rocky, man. What a warrior. This is from The Answer himself. Well, not himself, but a guy who calls himself The Answer. First of all, thank you for the donation. And second of all, yeah, you're right. Pretty incredible. Um, 
30, what, 35, 36 years old. Again, maybe some parts of his game are slipping, and certainly it's not advisable what he did. But how can you be upset at the guy for having the kind of career moment he had tonight? I am worried about everything that I said I was worried about before, but I can understand that you know, it was a happy occasion for him at the same time, right? And he got to wash the bad taste out of his mouth and put himself right back at the top of that division. So um, it was a risk. It paid off in the end. Still still inadvisable, but yes, he is a warrior. Uh, where do you think GSP will end up? 155, 170, or a second retirement? Either a second retirement or still a 170, or some kind of a catch weight maybe. 155, I don't know. I don't know. Part of me feels like, yeah, they want to make that Connor fight, and I understand that. But does he really want to make 155? I don't know. I'd have to see to believe it. Sick shirt from Jason Williams. Thank you, buddy. From Eddie N. With all that being said about lightweight, we need to know who the one true king is. Connor, Hubby, Tony need to fight round robin or the MMA gods have failed us. I couldn't agree more. I could not possibly agree more. We need to see more of that. We need not more of it. We need to see any of it. It's it is such a deep hole that needs to be filled in in that division. It is this gaping wound that until it is healed or treated or in any way addressed, it just won't go away. And you can see it there all the time, uh, festering. And so I I couldn't be more in agreement that that we for the for the sake of the sport, for the sake of that division, for the legacies. For yes, our entertainment, but for some closure and clarity, we need that. We need that real badly. And then Trevor Hansen writes um, a nice message of support. So thank you, Trevor. I really appreciate it. All right, I'm going to go to Twitter. I'll come back if there's any more of these super chats. For now, we let me read a couple of these if I can. People saying nice things about the video quality. Yeah, dude, I told y'all, told y'all I made some upgrades, mm-hmm. and I still have more to go. So, someone says, about the Simon fight, Devalish really KO'd himself with the takedown, went limp, and was rolled over, came into the choke with a few seconds later, then was at best semi-conscious at the end. Stoppage was weird. My guy won, but it was weird. So, here's the one thing. If he's semi-conscious, then that's different, but he wasn't at all conscious, it appeared. Here's the one thing that kind of kills me a little bit, our rule about, like, if you're getting pounded on, you have to be, what, intelligently defending yourself, moving, covering up, making choices. But if you're getting submitted, you can literally just flail and then try to hold on. And that's okay. And I, re- I recognize that you can say, well, getting punched in the head and the brain damage therein is not the same as the brain damage, if any, that might come from just being guillotined or triangled to sleep. And I recognize that. But I like how like the intelligent defense scenario really only applies to strikes. It has nothing to do with... like You can have the most unintelligent defense imaginable for submissions... Or none at all. And it doesn't really matter if, if you can make that work. Now, if you can't, well, whatever. But, you know, well, I need to see him intelligently defending himself. Well, you didn't. You know, there's nothing intelligent about that. Uh, so, keep that in mind. Someone says, I would love to see Barboza fight Gaethje for his next fight. Both got, God, no, fuck that. Barboza needs a break. I know what you mean. It'd be a killer fight, but those, shit, both those guys need a break. No, I, I would not be in favor of that at all. So it says, I feel like they are going to make Justin Edson now. Makes sense as they both lost twice, but given the amount of damage, I hope they really don't make that. I am not in favor of that at all. Kevin Lee should make weight, then celebrate. Kevin, the title fight line forms behind Tony Ferguson. Yeah, but Tony might be out for a long time. Having never been wobbled myself, how long does it actually take for you to feel right after a shot like that? Depends on the person. Uh, they can, so different people can have different levels of composure under fire like that. Um, but it takes a couple of minutes, typically. It also depends on how hard the shot is. But for a shot like that, several minutes. Uh, but again, you can see it's some people who can get rocked and they, and they just don't show it. They just, they just look like nothing ever happened. And they have incredible bearing. And Kevin Lee has, you know, except for the initial wobbling, has really good bearing, you know. All right, let's go back to this, and then we'll call it a day. Yes? All right. Someone says, loved you on the Big Brown Breakdown last year. JRE next. Doubt it. Uh, yeah, Joe actually reached out at the end of last year 
And then um, talks kind of, I don't know, they didn't lead to anything. And uh, so I guess that's that. I guess it's never going to happen, which is, you know, all right. It's, I mean, you know, it's his podcast, right? But uh, but that was weird. So in any case, um, all right. That is it, I think, for us right here. Last thing on this. Thank you to anybody who donated. I really appreciate it. It goes a long way. Trust me, it really does. It actually is incredibly helpful. Thank you to for you guys for staying up to me. With the, let me pull this up so I can see what I'm looking at here. Uh, till 2.23 in the morning. My God, what are we doing up this late with our lives? I appreciate you guys sticking around. Thanks to everyone who liked. Thanks to everyone who subscribed who donated, who tweeted, who watched. You are all appreciated. Uh, it has been great. I hope you enjoyed the fights as much as I did. I do not think I'm going to do this for Bellator, what is it, 198, because I need a break. I'm tired, and I'm sure you are too. And so with that said, I will bid you adieu. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you have any questions, all my information is in the description box below. I can be reached a thousand different ways, so reach out to me. And for those who already have, you're the best. Until next time, my friends, get some sleep.